0: Welcome to the Connected Energy Solutions podcast series. I'm your host, Michael Nelson, and in this episode, we're going to be discussing how data can be used to accelerate the energy transition. Joining me today is Dan Travers, Head of Data Science Partnerships and Execution at SUBAC. Hi, Dan. Nice to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Could you give us a brief introduction to yourself and to the work that SUBAC does? Because I think I'm writing saying that SUBAC is a relatively new venture.
1: Yes, it is. So, the SUBAC has started just over a year ago now, with really the brainchild of uh, Baroness Bryony Worthington, who co-wrote the Climate Change Act, um, is very involved in uh, climate change action and, and some of the philanthropy around that. The SUBAC is two things. Firstly, it's an accelerator to try and accelerate climate related nonprofits. And secondly, it's a data cooperative. And that data cooperative is is based on actually the namesake, the SUBAC. Um, the SUBAC is the, the governance system that in Indonesian rice farmers put in place centuries ago to, to share out the water and to allocate the water. So this is a scarce resource um, which they all needed, and they needed to use it equitably in order to to cooperate and to all prosper. So we've taken that SUBACS sort of Temple Governance System idea and applied that to the sharing of data, and data being like water. And so the idea is that we want to ensure that climate data and everything related to to the climate is shared uh, for maximum impact because we strongly believe that that's the way we're going to have uh, an outside impact on on the world is through leveraging and and reusing that water, that data.
0: Thank you for that. Now, in SUBAC's case, you're helping data get to the people who need it through your data cooperative. How does that work in terms of what data is collected and how it's collected? And what is the scope of industries that utilise the service?
1: yeah so and there's a few there's a few points in there maybe firstly what we're trying to do is to signpost data not actually collect it all physically so um i've been involved in many data projects in my time and you know you don't want to be building an enormous data lake and or a warehouse that is usually a recipe for disaster so what we're looking to do is, is signpost the data in a data catalog initially that will be our members data so the first version um is the the actual members of the accelerator and using their data and there's some some great organizations such as ember and transition zero and New automotive collecting data on power plants and electric vehicles emissions and use of electricity the next stage we're going to move on to is is power plant data so we're going to increase through adding sectors on at a time so power plant data is quite a rich field but it's not terribly well connected And then we're going to move on to other sectors such as evs and batteries um, land use and so forth Uh, for example we've got a a chapter in australia land use is really important there and so that that how much uh, how much carbon is captured in the in the land is is a really uh, important part of their meeting their emissions within the data cooperative there's the cataloguing firstly secondly there's the the trust aspect so one of the things we want to address is data is it's often able it's often possible to get data but sometimes you don't know if you can uh, rely on that data Um, can you describe what some of those fields mean can you know when it's been last updated can you talk to someone so all of those things we're we're looking to put increase the level of trust around the data so that if someone comes to a data set they know If it's something they can rely on, or has it been updated this year or three years ago, how do do I get in touch with someone to to understand maybe what processing they've done with that data? How did they clean the data? How did they fill gaps? So all of those trust aspects are embedded by additional metadata on the data sets. So by capturing additional metadata from the data owners, we'll be able to broadcast that with the data catalog to anyone coming across this data. And, And lastly, we're looking to connect that data So actually establish connections between uh, individual elements in these data sets. And that's often where data becomes a lot more valuable is through the connections of the data rather than just the individual data sets, right? It's, It's
0: piecing it together. When this data is submitted to the cooperative, is the emphasis on qualitative data or quantitative data? And how did you decide when it is the right time to translate that data into action?
1: We are mostly focused on quantitative data and fairly structured data Uh, some of our members for example are doing uh, working with unstructured text in uh, policy documents right so climate policy radar have got a really interesting proposition where they've got a, a database of climate laws from the world and that's actually highly unstructured but they're looking to add structure on that so what we'll be doing is is signposting to that structure and so the structure would be well, which documents include mentions of evs which ones include air quality mentions which ones include carbon taxes and you can then search and put some structure on top of that um, i think it's the structure where we get the value of connecting the data but there is absolutely possible to have unstructured data
0: underneath in your experience how can data help businesses make better decisions in reducing their climate impact
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, this is crucial, right? Who cares? So, um, I mean, let's say we start with the electricity grid, which is, as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the the, f- the first cabs off the rank will be looking at power plants and the electricity grid. I mean, if you look at what's happening at the moment with um, the net zero targets that have been put in place, very ambitious targets, um, for example, in the UK, to to put wind and um, solar especially wind on the grid and to have every home being uh, net zero in the pretty near future one of the challenges of that is undoubtedly the the moving the electricity around the country so at the moment it's not infrequent that wind power is curtailed in Scotland which means turned off and we're wasting green electricity green electrons and we're potentially turning on gas turbines in the south of the country because the the transmission network is just not strong enough to take the power from from the north to the south. Um, there are other situations too where the national grid and the, the network operators are needing to push out the timelines for connecting renewable energy to the grid because they're unsure of the robustness of the grid and a lot of that. I mean, so partly that's just due to investment in infrastructure and that that's an ongoing process and that will, that will take real money and, and real boots on the ground, so to speak. But the other part of that is is data. It's The, the networks don't necessarily have enough data to be able to make the decisions on which connections uh, they can manage going forwards and that, re- that means that they're doing very conservative Uh, Answers when someone asks for a connection. And just the other day, I was talking to a solar developer who had a project delayed from a connection of yet next year in 2022, uh, delayed to 2028. So, you know, it's a six year delay. And so that is going to make it really hard to hit net zero. Um, How does more data help? Well, the more data we've got on the grid in this case, the more accurately those organisations will be able to to actually allow an additional capacity to be connected, or to allow renewables to run at their full strength and not have gas backup, not have get battery backup, what do we need to do? that? Um, there's tons of stuff. There's firstly, a lot of this data is not measured, so there needs to be more metering in some cases put in place. Um, there are issues with the the trust around that data. So there's there's sometimes concerns about how robust that data is and so forth. Um, privacy concerns, some people have privacy concerns and how much that data can be shared. So all of these things we need to really unblock at the same time.
0: That's great. Thank you. Uh, we touched a little on some of the issues there. I'm just wondering whether you could expand on some of those points and explain the challenges faced by businesses who want to utilise data. Uh, for example, Are there issues in terms of how these companies interpret and act on the data? Because it's one thing to have it, but quite another to understand it and make good decisions based upon it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, One of the things we're trying to do is really lower the barrier to entry for new businesses and analysts within those businesses or academics to to enter the space. At the moment, the the barrier to entry is quite high because businesses coming in or analysts coming in will be often delving into the you know, the original source of data, pulling that data out, verifying it themselves, connecting it to other data sources themselves, and getting their sort of level of trust in the data up to a high level. So we're thinking if we can increase the trust level of that data and make it uh, clearer where the data is, and ideally also explain what those columns on those tables mean, uh, which columns can be connected to another table in a completely different data set by understanding whether it's fuel type or ID of the power plant, um, whether it's transmission wires, et cetera, that will lower the the barrier for entry for, for new players. And I think this is going to make it cheaper for businesses to use this data and also much easier for new entrants to come into the space. And, and as we know, right, it's really important to have new entrants. There is quite a significant problem in the electricity grid with the incumbent players it's, it's, they have a lot of uh, incumbent advantage around the data. And by opening that up, we think there'll be new players coming into not just the electricity grid space, but also just in general in the, the environmental space. And, and we're, I should say, Subac is a nonprofit. So we're looking to do this for the benefit of the climate, but we are completely open to for profits using this data. I mean, it's, it's, it's actively encouraged. <laughs>
0: we obviously talk a lot about the energy transition as a holistic approach. And every sector has a role to play from transport, energy generation, storage capacity, et cetera. Are all areas of the energy transition using data to make effective decisions? And if not, which sectors will need to utilize this information more if they are to successfully transition to net zero?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think the the electricity grid where I've talked about now is is actually pretty data heavy. And I think they make reasonable use of that data as, a, as an industry. Uh, the sectors where there is a, a lot more uncertainty around, I think the data and the models are things like land use, for example, how much data, there, there's increasing amounts of data coming in from, from remote sensing, from satellite imagery and aerial imagery. Uh, this, the geographical information systems or GIS data can take Picture, which includes all across the spectrum. And you can look at the stress of the land. You can look at how healthy the uh, greenery is in particular space by looking at the the spectrum of light that's reflected off them. So there's huge amounts of data coming into that space. I think there's a lot of work needed still to perfect the models and to make that really robust in a way that everyone agrees on. Um, that's going to take time, it's going to take really smart people, it's going to take academics and industries and governments working together. And what we're looking to do is just to enable that and provide them with more data. Uh, if I can give another example, there's one of the members which I won't name at the moment, they're coming into the next cohort, is is looking at rainforest observations and tracking the, the health of the rainforest, looking at logging roads through the rainforest, looking at biodiversity measures. Yeah, it, it's. Amazing data they're going to get out of that, then they're applying machine learning to it and they're looking to serve that not for themselves, but to actually serve it up to other. NGOs or other analysts in the space to help them lobby for the rainforest health and to to have an additional source of information, which is different to the the local government's information.
0: Can you think of any examples which show how to use data successfully in this space?
1: That's That's a really good question we've seen. Uh, some countries, I think sometimes more agile countries potentially take really different paths to this um, and smaller can be good in some ways. Um, to take a really small example, Malta. So quite a small country, a few hundred thousand people. They actually have smart meters on every household, including on the renewable generation. So that, you know, that is half hourly metered data from all of the houses in the country for their generation. And they can access that data days um, after the fact. So really quite quick turnaround and an amazing data set. So you can imagine if if you take the action as a government uh, and as a as a community to implement these types of um, investments in the infrastructure and the data infrastructure, that gives you a huge amount of power to understand exactly what's happening in the country and exactly where the electricity is flowing. I'd love to see that sort of investment happening in, in electricity grids all across the globe. Um, it is an investment. It does cost money, uh, but I think investing in that digital infrastructure is a, is a really good commitment. The other sort of observation, I suppose, on who's doing data well is, which I think everyone's made, no surprise, is you look at the big tech companies and they've got problems and there's lots of challenges and I'm sure there's things that would love to do better with their data, but they do have quite amazing pools of data that they are successfully using, you know, mostly for advertising revenues and so forth. So not necessarily the same purpose as us but what we'd like to do is take some of the ideas and that clarity of vision from the non-profit space and and trying to address uh, the climate crisis and combine that with some of the the for-profit really advanced tech world approaches where data is treated like like a holy grail and is a lot of investment is put into managing that data and it's amazing how much information is in there so you can imagine you know, the super-targeted advertising we're getting for selling widgets on Black Friday. Imagine if we could do super targeted advertising to get people to convert to EVs and to get people over the hump of thinking about the environment in a particular way. So I think some of those ideas from the for-profit space we'd, we'd love to see brought in as a persuasion engine, if you like, into the, into the non-profit space, which traditionally hasn't been doing those type of approaches
0: final question before we wrap up Uh, what do you hope to see grow or possibly change with how data is utilized to drive the energy transition going forward
1: i think the most important thing well there are three blockers to to moving forward with data the first one is investment so the investment uh, incentives are not necessarily there for all of the players um, private households, it's difficult to in, uh, incentivize them to share data. I think there's other issues at play, that, at play there. But for example, electricity uh, network owners, they are licensed the monopoly regions usually they're covering. They've got a lot of incentives and they've got a lot of risks. And if you look at just like the, you know the recent storms that have happened um, and knocked out tons of people's houses up in the north of England, yeah, that's an absolutely high profile issue. So they have to really be worrying about this, the, the, the distribution network operators. Uh, however, what we'd like to see is some incentives put in, not just for keeping people connected, but also for ensuring that the data is shared in a really sort of first class way. So data is treated as a first class citizen of their, of their operations at the moment. It feels like data is often a second class citizen. And I think by attaching incentives to that, that will trigger investment in that space. So we'd like to see a lot more investment in, in data um, initiatives and encouraging uh, organisations and businesses to to share that data in a really a really high um, quality way, not just the, the bare bones way. Uh, regulation, um, I think there's a bunch of things that could be done around regulation in terms of uh, requiring certain data to be opened up and to, to be shared. We've seen what happened with, for example, open banking, which is an example of a an initiative which the government in the UK really took hold of, and they did actually manage to keep uh, to to open up the the banking landscape quite significantly. And I think it's been a really good model for for other countries to look at. Um, lastly, privacy. So I think privacy. This is where it sort of comes back to the mostly to the household and to the, the individual. The, Privacy one is a tricky one, and you have to be very careful. But I think there is a, a certain concern around privacy that can sometimes stymie um, the reuse of data that actually could be very, you know, useful for the public good. And while I don't think it would be acceptable to expose you know, someone's address and their their smart meter data, as an example, um, because that's personally very concerning, or maybe you know the miles someone drives in their car people would be concerned about that detailed data i think there are ways to obfuscate and or to hide the individual information about the person and to share that data more aggressively at the moment it's very difficult to get that sort of level of data on individual usage of uh, electricity or of your cars um, your heating and so forth i would love to see that being uh, more aggressively pursued and get that balance of privacy versus public good being struck a little bit more towards the public good in a way that still doesn't um compromise anyone's privacy in the in the sort of personal identifying information way
0: well that's all we have time for in this episode thank you dan for letting me pick your brains on this topic it's been a very interesting discussion
1: brilliant thanks for having me um appreciate the time
0: I hope you, the listener, learned something from listening to our discussion today. If you would like to get involved with a future episode, please reach out and email Michael N at connectedenergysolutions.co.uk. I've been Michael Nelson, and until next time, please look after yourselves.